Welcome to another edition of the Baseball America College podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill here on February 25th. It is after week two of the uh, of the college baseball season, and uh, I'm here with Dave Serrano and Joe Healy, and we're uh, we're excited to talk more about college baseball. So, how's it going, guys? Going good, Teddy. Yeah, good. Uh, good weekend in college baseball. Looking forward to talking about it. Awesome. Well, you know the. Uh, there, there's some series that, that kind of caught our eyes this weekend. Um, you know, specifically Mississippi State beating Southern Miss. That that was the big one. That was the the first top 25 series matchup of the year. Uh, but again, the top 25 this this week largely stayed the same. Um, it, in fact, the the 25 teams are the same as they were a week ago. The order is just just slightly different. Vanderbilt remains number one. LSU number two, UCLA number three, that's all unchanged. North Carolina jumped up to number four, and Florida slipped to number five. Uh, that, that's one of the changes this week, as Florida endured a bit of a rough week going two and three, losing two midweek games before coming back uh, to win their series against Miami. We will definitely get into that a little more later. And then further down in the rankings, Coastal Carolina moves up to 21. Southern Miss, which lost to Mississippi State in Starkville, slides to 23. Uh, but still a pretty good week for the Golden Eagles, all things considered, uh, going on the road to a top-10 team and and uh, winning a game in, in what was a very tight and exciting series. Uh, so again, the, the 25 largely remains the same. Uh, but while there wasn't much movement in the rankings. There were some some very interesting series around the country, and let's just start with uh, with this series down in Mississippi in the Magnolia State between the Bulldogs and the Golden Eagles. And coming into it, there's a lot of background here. Uh, you know, these were two teams that met in the 2017 Hattiesburg Regional Final. Mississippi State came out on top of that. And last year, uh, down in Hattiesburg again on opening weekend, Southern Miss swept Mississippi State. Uh, later that week, Andy Canazaro resigned as Mississippi State head coach. So there was a lot of drama around week one of the season last year. Uh, and I think that left Mississippi State feeling like they had something to prove, that they wanted some revenge uh, going into this year's series. And and they did just that, taking two out of three from Southern Miss. They lost on Friday night, one to nothing in 10 innings, a great pitcher's duel. They bounced back on Saturday with, uh, with an 8-1 victory behind uh, freshman JT Ginn on the mound. And then on Saturday, they edged out Southern Miss 4-3. to three. Tanner Allen provides the walk-off double in the ninth inning to, to give the Bulldogs the big series win. Uh, so, Dave... Let's start with you. What uh, what do you take away from uh, from this weekend for these teams? Well, first of all, uh, I commend both programs. You know, obviously it's an in-state rivalry, and and uh, I commend them both for for matching up this early in the season. Uh, it's too bad. I, I wish I could have taken in that series because that that looked like it would have been a dynamic series. I would have loved to see T.J. Ginn throw. Sounds like he was fabulous. Uh, Mississippi State comes out on top in that series and and in some close games and uh but obviously southern miss you know we talked about this last night when we talked about the top 25 you can't punish them too much because they they lose the series um on the road and and obviously they're they're a good baseball team uh they're going to continue to get better but again kudos to both those teams for in week two 
stepping up and playing a big series. And I think both both programs are going to end up where they want to be towards the, the end of the year. I think both programs are going to continue to get better. And um, like I said, I, I, I'm really anxious to get to see whether it's on TV or in person, TJ Ginn, because I've heard nothing but spectacular things about him. Yeah, I mean, Ginn went out through seven innings, uh, just a few hits, struck out nine, walked one, seven scoreless innings. Uh, a great start for him. And, and Ethan Small, the day before, an absolutely sensational start, 13 strikeouts, no walks, again, seven scoreless innings. Those two guys uh, you know, did great things for the Bulldogs this weekend and, and, and should be really good uh, going forward. And, and you know, the, the fact that, that Small is back this year, I, I know that a lot was made of some of the returning players in the SEC this year. Uh, you know, Jake Bangham on, on uh, the Bulldogs as well. And, and LSU, of course, with their trio of, of Hess, Watson, and Duplantis all coming back. But Small is, is one of the, you know, he maybe flew under, a bit under the radar in returning for, uh, you know, turning down the draft to come back to school this year. But having him at the front of the rotation has been big already for Mississippi State. And those two guys, uh, Joe, I know you feel like can you know the, the, that one-two punch can be really, really effective for, for the Bulldogs. Yeah, that's a one-two punch. It's go, it's going to be a problem for other teams in SEC play. Uh, you know, with, with JT again, you you know the talent was there, but you know sometimes it just doesn't click for freshmen. So you came into the season kind of wondering what it would look like for him, and, and so far so good. And Ethan Small is a guy we talked about a little bit before this season. Or I seem to remember having this conversation with you guys anyway about how he probably didn't get enough credit for being as good as he was last season. I think it was some, uh, coming into the season, Connor Pilkington was probably the bigger name there. And I think that probably had something to do with it. He flew under the radar a bit, but, uh, you know, they were both outstanding this past weekend. So yeah, I think it, somewhat quietly, I think that's a rotation that's going to be able to, to put Mississippi state in a position to compete with really any other rotation in the conference. Uh, and on, on the Southern Miss side, I mean, this was kind of the rare series where, um, yeah, I, I think, I think more of Southern Miss after this weekend even though they lost the series because of how well they competed. You know, they weren't able to solve Ginn on Saturday, but hey, that, that's going to happen. But the other two games were just as airtight as possibly could be, and that's a tough place to play, even though I'm sure there were there were plenty of Southern Miss fans who made that trip. But uh, it's just a tough place to play. And I think there's a scenario where, you know, you could have seen Mississippi State sweep that series or win two out of three, but win the two games in a lot more uh, dominating fashion. So I, I think uh, Southern Miss really acquitted themselves well in that series, and I think it it just kind of reaffirms my feeling about Southern Miss being the class of the Conference USA. Yeah, I think with with Southern Miss, uh, you know, they got a great start from Walker Powell on uh, on Friday night. He matched up really well with Ethan Small. He's not like Ethan Small is is a bit of a prospect, and JT Ginn has this power arm that you know, he's an unsigned first rounder. Walker Powell is not really like that. Uh, he's just a good, solid pitcher like Southern Miss has had so often over the years. And he really went out and, and, and went toe-to-toe with Ethan Small. And uh, he was fantastic for uh, for what Southern Miss needed. And I thought Southern Miss uh, you know, kind of showed off some some pretty good arms out of the bullpen. Uh, Ryan Oak uh, threw well behind uh, Powell on Friday night. And uh, he did take the uh, you know the loss there on, on – um, on Sunday, but you know he showed pretty well as a redshirt freshman, and J.C. Keys pitched very well out of the bullpen. And Southern Miss has some pretty decent, uh, you know, arms they can turn to, and that's without Matt Walner, of course, the the preseason All-American two-way player uh, who is able to hit right now, but 
is still being held out of pitching uh, due to a, a bit of a forearm strain. And if Walner is able to come back, whether that's in the rotation or just providing another power arm out of the pen, that would really bolster this Southern Miss pitching staff it, that already is looking uh, looking like it's a it's a nice, solid pitching staff. And, and then they have the offense. I know this weekend it was uh, held down pretty well uh, by, by Mississippi State, but they have a pretty powerful offense. And more weekends than not, they're going to score a lot of runs. And so I, I think going forward, that's a team that looks very dangerous. Uh, and, and it'll be interesting to see how it all comes together for them. But, you know, Dave, what I, a lot of times we talk about, you know, moral wins or whatever, and, and, and sometimes people want to write those off. But what do you think going one and two and winning the way they won on Friday night, you know, being able to, to match pitcher for pitcher with Mississippi State, what does that do for Southern Miss now going forward? Well, I think I, I'm going to kind of say what I kind of echo what Joe said. I, I think from a coaching perspective, you don't want to ever walk away and think, well, it was, you know, we could walk away thinking we won because we won a close game Friday night and still lost the series. But I think Southern Miss walks away realizing they can play with anyone in the country. Obviously, Mississippi State is one of the better teams in the country, as is Southern Miss. Uh, I think they walk away and go back to the drawing board and, and realize what they need to work on. And I think they go forward in their conference in, in a couple of weeks, and they believe that they have uh, as much a chance as anyone to win the conference and get back to the regionals. And then it's anyone's game when you get to regionals. So I, I don't think it's a moral victory, but I think they walk away realizing the fact that uh, they are a good baseball team. They're a good program. They're a program that's been trending up for the last few years. And um, uh, I probably wouldn't want to be the team that they, they play next weekend. I mean, I think they're going to go in next weekend and, and with some swagger and, and, uh, and do some damage off of coming off of what they believe in a rivalry game, disappointing losing two out of three at Mississippi State. Yeah, that's uh, Gonzaga headed to Hattiesburg next weekend in the uh, not short trip. I, I want to see Gonzaga's travel schedule for this week, getting from Spokane to Hattiesburg, Mississippi. But that you know that's a, a pretty solid Gonzaga team. But yeah, I, I can very much see Southern Miss going down, uh, going back home and, and really taking this out uh, over the next couple of weeks before they, they get into conference play um, with uh, what should be a really interesting series against Louisiana Tech. But that is getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, we will have plenty of time to discuss that over the next couple of weeks. So while the, the Southern Miss-Mississippi State series was kind of the headliner of the week with the two ranked teams going at it, there were a couple other uh, intriguing series involving ACC teams that have kind of been premier teams in that conference, but in, in traditionally, but have been a little down on their luck in the last couple of years. And Joe, you were at one of those uh, where Georgia Tech was hosting UCLA, you know, and they, Georgia Tech, has not been in the tournament the last couple of years and, and they're working to get back and they have this, uh, you know, pitching staff that they can feel pretty good about now. And they've always been able to hit and they went out and, and they beat UCLA on a walk-off home run, uh, four to three on Friday night. And then UCLA responded to, to win that series in Atlanta. But Joe, just, you were down there. What, what were your impressions from this weekend, uh, at, at Georgia tech? Yeah, it was probably the number one thing I was interested in, in finding out over the weekend is is just, you know, what there is to this Georgia Tech pitching staff. It's been talked about a, a, about having better depth than it has in the past. And 
I came away actually thinking that was the case. Um, you know, they, they obviously pitched well enough to win on Friday because they did win. You know, Xavion Curry gave him a solid start there. Um, you know, the Saturday game kind of got away a little bit from Connor Thomas, but then on Sunday they got a good start from Brand Herter. Um, and, and that game kind of just slipped away late when some defensive lapses occurred. And it wasn't, I, I didn't come away feeling like that loss was on the pitching, if you will. So um, they've just got some interesting pieces out there. Jonathan Hughes is is going to be a big part of things and you know it's easy to kind of forget now because he's he's dealt with injuries and things of that nature while in Atlanta but was a second round pick coming out of high school for Baltimore and uh was unsigned ended up going to Georgia Tech and it's really just kind of been nothing but hard times for him since he got there and he really has come on so far this season um in his relief work uh you know Tristan English is working out of the bullpen right now and and to me that's one of the biggest keys for Georgia Tech is continuing to be able to use a guy like Brant Herter in the rotation on the weekends to keep English in, in more of a bullpen role because I think he's a really good fit uh, for that role. And he, he shined in the Friday game. He was, um, you know, he and Hughes both were a big part of that Friday win as much as, much as anything else. Uh, you know, the, the funny thing was Georgia Tech is known for offensive production, and that's really kind of what so far this season has, you know, kind of uh, hamstrung them. I mean, they're hitting 200 as a team right now, just a couple of guys really going. Austin Wilhite swinging it well, Kyle McCann swinging it well. He had the, the walk-off home run in the Friday game. Um, but it was just kind of a kind of a strange series. It was almost like two different series in one. I mean, you big emotional win for Georgia Tech on Friday. Got off to a pretty decent start against UCLA's Jack Ralston on Saturday. Had him uh, on the ropes early. They were getting guys on base, and this was the game I wasn't there. I was in Athens that day, but you know, kind of went back and, and um, watched a little bit of it. And they had him on the ropes. They just could never kind of get that big hit. And then, uh, you know, UCLA on the other side of that coin did get the big hit. And that was kind of the difference maker there. And then from that point moving forward you know, on the, the second half of the game on Saturday, they really just couldn't generate any sort of offense. And then Sunday, the offense was very, very quiet for them. So um, it was really a tale of, of two series in a way. Um, but I think a lot of that just goes to the fact that, you know, this is a UCLA team that for all the hand-wringing about it maybe not being a classic UCLA pitching staff, and then on top of that you have a Ryan Garcia injury, uh, for all that hand-wringing, they, they really couldn't have pitched it much better so far this season. Team ERA of 084, um, for you keeping score at home, that's pretty good. Um, you know, and it's, it doesn't look like you kind of expect UCLA pitching staff to look at. If you're using Trevor Bauer and Garrett Cole as your baseline, uh, which wouldn't necessarily be the right way to look at it, but you can see folks kind of thinking of it that way. This is not not going to look like that. Um, you know, you've got Zach Petway, who's kind of a battler, a, a solid college pitcher. Um, Jack Ralston's kind of a guy who's been in the program for a few years and really hadn't made that much of an impact, and he stepped in and done a nice job. Um, and then Jesse Bergen's been a revelation as a freshman. I mean, Division One baseball is supposed to be pretty difficult, but so far Jesse Bergen against two teams in St. John's and Georgia Tech that we had in our preseason field of 64 is, has done a really, really outstanding job. So um, this is a team that can still pitch. Um, you know, Kyle Mora has been outstanding out of the bullpen, 17 strikeouts and eight innings of work. Uh, now he got hung with the loss in that Friday game because he really made one bad pitch. He pitched into his fourth inning of work and made one pitch to Kyle McCann that Kyle McCann hit out of the park. And that, that was it. But otherwise he was just absolutely outstanding. Um, and the offense is good too. I mean, there, there's a little more depth to this offense this year. It feels like to me, whereas, you know, maybe you thought that maybe it was going to be, you know, Tolia and, and Strumpf and Idens and then kind of a bunch of guys to fill around. But, but Jake Pree seems to have taken a big step forward. He's hitting 524 so far this year. Ryan Kreidler hit a home run on Sunday that was absolutely scalded. 
uh, you know, maybe uh, he's ready to make a leap. And then Garrett Mitchell is a guy who's been hot so far this season. They really didn't get as much from Matt McClain. Now, he hit a home run in the Saturday game, um, but he's hitting two seventeen so far this season. But he's a guy you have quite a bit of confidence who is going to come around. Uh, certainly the talent is there, and you can kind of see that talent shine through in spurts. So, um, you know, I, I think it was the type of series where you come away thinking more about UCLA than you come away thinking less of Georgia Tech. Uh, you know, Georgia Tech's got to get that offense going, but I think there's enough talent there to get it going. Some of the guys who are off to slow starts, like Oscar Serratos, for example, have a track record of success. So um, it's it's a weird deal where I came away feeling feeling good about Georgia Tech and that the improved pitching there, but it, in this series, it just wasn't quite enough. So uh, not too dissimilar from, from Southern Miss. I still think... Uh, the Yellow Jackets have the talent to be a regional team, and it wouldn't surprise me if they were a regional team when it's all said and done. But this was just a situation where this is a, a now a veteran UCLA team that knows how to win and knows who they are and has the right pieces in place, and, and they just outplayed them. Hey, I'm looking at uh, Georgia Tech's uh, offense right now, and it's very strange. You have three players, Willite, Goldberg, and McCann, hitting over 300, and then everyone else on the team that has more than three at-bats is hitting under 200. And those are guys like Chase Murray, uh, you know, their junior outfielder who they were looking to take a step forward this year, Cerritos, uh, Tristan English, who's been a, a, a big piece for the, that lineup in the past. Uh, you know, they just aren't hitting right now. And you got to figure they will turn it around. Uh, but Georgia Tech now sitting at three and three. Uh, they're a bit confusing. I, uh, I, I'm not entirely sure what to make of them. They, you know, th- this series loss doesn't bother me, except in the fact that they still aren't hitting at all. But last weekend in the Atlanta Challenge, where they, uh, they and a couple other schools down in that area bring three teams in, and then they rotate around the, the local schools. And you know, they beat UIC on opening day. Then they lost to Richmond, and then they got walked or they walked off. West Virginia in 11 innings. So two of their three wins, they needed walk-offs in the 11th inning. And those were the two best teams they've faced so far, West Virginia and UCLA. But I just, I, I don't know what to make of Georgia Tech yet. And I don't know that I'm going to know anytime soon. I am excited to see how they start ACC play because it is not an easy start for them. They are uh, at Miami they are, and then they have Virginia at home, and then they go to Louisville the first three weeks. They have one week to get ready for that, and then that's kind of a gauntlet right out of the gate in ACC play. And so I think we're going to find out a little more about Georgia Tech then, but right now they're still a little confusing, and they've got to get their offense going if uh, you know, to, to get to where they need to be as a, as a program. But Dave, what, what did you think uh, about this weekend? Well, I... First, I'll say this about UCLA. The scariest thing going into this season, and I might have mentioned it in our original top 25, is that if the pitching was the shortcoming with John Savage's background of pitching, then that was a good thing for the Bruins because I, I knew that they would get better. They, they had the talent to get good. It was just inexperienced. I think the Garcia setback actually will help the Bruins in the long run. When he gets back healthy, he'll be fresher later in the year plus the fact that, that John is able to now use, utilize some of the younger guys and get them experience early in the weekend that's only going to make the Bruins much better. I'll echo again what Joe said. 
you know, with the, all the names that they have in their lineup, when Jake Preeze is, is doing what he's doing at the clip he's doing, and the other guys that were supposed to be just the others in the lineup are functioning now, it makes the Bruins that much better. Um, I've talked to many people on the West Coast that have seen them and have played against them, and they think their team is really, really good. And as that pitching continues to get better and, and grow up, uh, I think the Bruins are definitely a team that we're all going to be talking about at the end of the season when the eight teams get to Omaha. I, I think John, the UCLA people, and many people would be disappointed if that isn't one of the final eight teams at the end of the year. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, UCLA now returning to the West Coast, and they have a couple weeks to get ready for Pac-12 play. But it does seem like UCLA has come out of the gate really strong against two solid opponents in St. John's and Georgia Tech. Uh, and, and the Bruins are in a good spot going forward. Now, I mentioned there was another ACC uh, traditional powerhouse that was uh, facing off against a top five team this weekend. That was Miami hitting the road uh, for their rivalry series uh, at Florida. And they won on Friday night. Uh, They got a great start from Evan McKendry. They beat the Gators in Gainesville. Uh, But then Florida comes back, wins the next two games, wins the series. And as I mentioned, Florida had a uh, difficult week in that they went two and three. They lost midweek games against South Florida and North Florida. And they lost to Miami before they kind of righted the ship there uh, over the weekend. And offensively, Florida was scuffling until they dropped nine runs in the Saturday game. Uh, you know, that, that, this is one of the criticisms, or the, one of the concerns about Florida coming into the year was just how, how much impact that lineup had. Uh, but when I looked at it earlier in the weekend, I, you know, the, some of the guys that weren't hitting for Florida were guys like Austin Lane were the and Will Dalton, guys you feel pretty good about them that they were going to figure it out. Brady McConnell, um, you know, the sophomore shortstop who really wasn't didn't do a whole lot as a freshman, was banged up, uh, was going to be a, a linchpin for this team. He is hitting. And, and so when I, I see things like that, uh, you know, I feel like you, you trust that Laneworthy will figure it out. And, and if you can get um, if you can get McConnell going, if you can get fr- freshman Kendrick Calleo going, and those two were going, are going really, really well, uh, then the, eventually the veterans will catch up. And uh, we'll see if that carries over after this, uh, this series win against Miami. Uh, and, and as for the Canes, you know, I, I thought they competed pretty well uh, in Gainesville. I know it's not the series uh, result that they were hoping for, uh, but the way McHenry pitched, Chris McMahon pitched really well on Saturday. Florida was, um, you know, what was was down uh, late in that game. Uh, you know, th- those two guys showed very well. And Miami has started the season pretty well offensively. And that did eventually, you know, the, the, the Florida arms are what they are. And, and they did kind of contain Miami to an extent this weekend. Uh, but I, I think there's a lot of encouraging signs uh, for Gino Damari in his first season with the Canes. And it, it's going to be interesting to watch them as they go forward. And, and like I mentioned with Georgia Tech, you know, they have they open ACC play in two weeks, um, you know, against the Yellow Jackets at home in Miami, and you know they have a chance to to get off to a pretty good start in ACC play if they if they can win that series. That would be big for them. So I, I think it's a you know like we mentioned with Southern Miss, I think it's an encouraging weekend for Miami, even though for the fifth straight year Florida comes out on top in this rivalry. 
I think the the offensive strides have been have been incredibly impressive, like you mentioned, Teddy. And I, I think it's um, you know it's a small sample size. Sure, we're still talking about a really small number of games, but um, the struggles have been so profound offensively for Miami over the last couple of years that you know it really wouldn't have taken a ton of improvement uh, to make a huge difference in terms of their results um, because you know they've always been able to pitch well in in spots uh, just a- along the way, but. Um, that just feels like a little more juice there offensively. I mean, obviously Alex Terrell has been the, the big deal. He's got five home runs already. That That's uh, that's pretty doggone good. But they're getting contributions up and down the lineup. It seems to be a team that just, to my eyes, and you know, I'm not, not an expert in this kind of body language or anything like that, but it, it just seems like a, an offense that has a little bit more confidence, has a little bit more juice. Uh, you could tell they felt like they belonged on the field with Florida. Um, it maybe just seems like a group that um, – you know, that's ready to win this year. And it remains to be seen. They've got a tough road ahead of them. But, uh, you know, I, to my eyes, it looked like a group offensively uh, that had things a little bit more together uh, together this season. Yeah, I, I, I think about that series. I think both teams walked away feeling a lot better. I think with the schedule probably helped Florida. They needed something to generate. They had coming off two midweek losses where they really scuffled offensively. And then Miami comes in and they play them and they get two out of three where the offense did show signs. I, I don't think, I think probably the, the players were probably pressing a little bit more than, than coach Sullivan is right now. I think he knows what he has. His team notoriously gets better. He schedules tough usually early on and um, they'll get better, but I, I've heard nothing but good things about Miami. And I, I I'm really impressed by what coach uh, DeMar, you know, DeMar is doing right now out of the gate. And I think that's a, that's a team that's going to continue to get better uh, with the personnel they have, and that they're off to they're showing a good start to get going as they head into ACC play. But I walked away with, um, looking at that series, and I thought both teams can walk away feeling good about where they're the direction they're heading right now. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely fair all around. You know, the you know Miami is uh, it's a young team. And so there are going to still be some growing pains, but I think that there was encouraging signs uh, this weekend and and that they can build on this going forward. And, and, you know, you need, you need to, to, to challenge those kids early in the season and and Florida and Miami play this annual week two series. And and it's a good measuring stick for, for both of those teams. And uh, there are a lot of young hitters, especially uh, in action this weekend for, for both teams. And, you know, Caio had a had a huge weekend for Florida. Uh, he celebrated his nineteenth birth, birthday yesterday with a home run in the win. And um, you know, I, I I think that you know as as these guys get a little more settled in, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what they're really about and you know stop pressing. But I I think that this was an important weekend, uh, you know, for both these teams and in a rivalry environment and uh, you know something that you know two very talented programs going at it that. Uh, you know, we'll see what they have now uh, going forward as as we look towards conference play starting in, in just a couple weeks. So we've talked about, you know, these three series involving top 25 teams. And I mentioned that for the most part, there wasn't much movement in the, the rankings. But that doesn't mean that there aren't good teams, you know, kind of just on the outside of the top 25. Right now, in college baseball, we have... 18 undefeated teams remaining. Seven of them are in the top 25. That leaves 11 on the outside. And uh, a few of them, you know, are getting close to, to cracking the top 25. And I just kind of want to highlight a few of these teams that are, that are undefeated after two weekends uh, and, and that, that are kind of getting 
moving closer to, to the top 25, they're definitely on our radar. And I, I want to start with Tennessee. Dave, I know you were able to uh, get out and see the Volunteers yesterday finish their sweep of Indiana. Tennessee now up to 7-0. They've allowed only four runs this year. And uh, they're, they're really uh, looking impressive uh, through, through a couple weeks. Yeah, they are. And, you know, living in Knoxville, I, I get a lot of information, you know, through uh, seeing their games without seeing their games. And uh, I walked away pretty impressed. You know, uh, the old saying, pitching and defense wins championships. And if that's the case, then Tennessee has a legitimate chance of really moving up the, the rankings in the SEC this year for the first time in many years. Uh, the pitching staff looks dominant, and it really does. It, it's it's a it's an older group with some mixture of some really good talented young men, uh, led by Garrett Stallings on Friday night. He just continues to go out, kind of what he's done, what he carried over from the Cape this summer. Went out, uh, punched out nine on Friday night, walked zero. That's kind of his mo. You know, going into Sunday's game, Teddy, they had struck out 31 guys against Indiana and only walked two. And their defense had not made an error in the first two games, and the only two errors they made on Sunday came from the mound on pickoff plays. So they're, they're doing a fabulous job at taking care of the baseball. They're throwing strikes. They've got uh, good stuff on the mound. Zach Lingenfelter is, has become very consistent uh, throwing strikes and throwing more than a fastball for strike. Had a great game on Saturday, punched out 13, walked two. Those are great numbers for him. Will Neely had a little bit of a rough start, and I don't really know why don't even want to say a rough start. The wind was howling pretty good out to left field yesterday. And during the day games at, at Lindsey Nelson, the ball can get out pretty easily, left some balls up. Um, uh, they got out. Maybe one of them was wind aided. The other two would have probably got out anyway. But when you have a guy like Garrett Crochet in the bullpen and he hasn't thrown an inning yet, came in and just was dominant. This was absolutely dominant and um, uh, had just – took over the whole game on Sunday, which allowed Tennessee to creep back in and eventually win five to three, but very impressed with them coming out of the bullpen. They've got crochet right now. They got a young man named Redmond Walsh. That's a left-handed crafty left-handed that pounds the strike zone. Uh, and then they're closing the game with Schultz that um, has an electric arm. Uh, I think coach Anderson's done a good job of changing his arm, his delivery a little bit. He's 95, 96, and is just throwing darts right now. And why I'm so excited about their pitching staff and their team is that, in my opinion, I'm well aware they've got two young men that are freshmen, Camden Sewell and Elijah Pleasance, that really haven't even made impacts yet. And those two guys are going to be superstars when it's all said and done. So Tennessee is a team that I've seen now five teams play this year and six teams play this year. And I think from what I have seen and what I've heard, Tennessee may be the deepest pitching staff I've seen that's only going to get better down the line. The offense may be a little bit of the Achilles heel for them. I don't see a ton of power. Andre Lipsius has gotten off to a little slow start, even though he had a base-clearing uh, double yesterday, the big three runs to take the lead. Not a lot of power. They're going to need Zach Daniels somewhere in there eventually if he could cut down in his swings and misses. But um, they've got a lot of guys who've gotten off to a slow start, and they're still seven and zero, and they're throwing the ball pretty good. So I think, I think uh, uh, it looks pretty good for the Vols. They're going to have to keep it going uh, and continue to grow up. But if you can, if you have the pitching they have, I, I like their chances for a long time. 
Absolutely. And that, that's a good Indiana team that they beat. That's a Indiana team that I liked a lot coming into the year. And they very easily handled them uh, there in Knoxville. So that, that's, uh, that's definitely going to be a team to watch in the SEC this season as they try and return to regionals for the first time in more than a decade. Uh, now, Joe, uh, up in your neck of the woods, you've got Illinois sitting at 6-0. and They started with a, a sweep of the Wake Forest tournament uh, last weekend, and then this weekend went down to FAU and uh, swept that series as well. Needed some late inning heroics in a couple of those games, but the Illini still uh, still undefeated, sitting at six and zero. Yeah, six and zero start, best since uh, twenty fifteen. Um, you may remember the twenty fifteen Illinois team being pretty pretty good. I, I made a uh, curb your enthusiasm joke on Twitter about pretty good, which got a disappointingly mild reaction from uh, college baseball Twitter. But <laughs> maybe those Venn diagrams don't cross as much as I I would have hoped. So. Um, but yeah, no, really good start. And one of the questions that I had about the Illini coming into coming into this season actually had to do with their uh, their pitching staff and their rotation specifically. Last year, they got really good work from Quinn Snarskis and Andy Fisher and Ty Weber. Uh, but my question was, could they kind of replicate that? Um, because they were all kind of pitch to contact, low strikeout rate, relatively low strikeout rate guys, and that's hard to replicate because you you know when the ball is in play, anything can happen. Um, and they've kind of countered that in a couple different ways. Uh, you know, one was was moving Cirillo Watson into the rotation. Uh, you know, Watson stuff looked really good when I saw him in the fall, and I, it's continued over into the spring. Um, and he's been a nice addition to them. And in his 11 innings pitch, he's struck out 14. Um, and Andy Fisher looks like a guy who, he, you know, he had some success in, in piling up some strikeouts when he was at Eastern Illinois in a smaller role. Uh, and this year he's off to an outstanding start in that regard, 11 and two thirds innings, 16 strikeouts. So that right there is kind of remedying that. Now, Snarskis is not off to as much of a, a good start this season, but those two guys, I think have kind of been game changers in terms of, of mitigating my fears, at least about, um, about maybe, you know, pitching a contact being something that might bring them back to the mean a little bit. Now, you know, I have a lot of, uh, trust in Dan Hartlob and Drew Dickinson to develop pitching. It wasn't about whether or not these guys could get the job done. It was just that, you know, it wouldn't take much in the way um, of some batted ball luck uh, for those numbers that they all had solid, you know, three ERAs uh, to be closer to four. And if that's the case, then maybe um, there are a few fewer wins on the table for Illinois. So uh, they've just done a really nice job as a rotation again this year. Garrett Act, uh, Acton, three saves on the year, has been really nice in a bullpen role. And so has Ty Weber. You know, Ty Weber uh, slides into the bullpen, at least for now. Uh, and he's done a really nice job for them so far. So they've got a pretty uh, deep pitching staff. I mean, Sean Leland's a guy, you know, I almost forgot to mention him, but, you know, Louisville transfer didn't really find a role last year. Uh, this year has done a nice job for them out of the bullpen as well. So they've got some some depth there for sure um, in, a, in a rotation, I think, that has a little more of a high-end quality to it than it did last year. Offensively, uh, there's no Brent Spillane, uh, which is there's really no way around that. But it's just really, really deep, and that's one of the reasons why I was a little less worried about this team offensively, even though they were losing a guy, the quality of Brent Spillane, because the depth was there. You've got a guy like Michael Massey, who's proven himself. Um, you know, Jeff Cordy's a nice piece there. Michael Mahalik's a nice piece. And then you had guys who maybe had struggled or just maybe hadn't quite reached their full potential. I, I think of a guy like Zach Taylor, who was a, a big contributor at Houston a couple of years, transferred to Illinois, had a nice year, particularly in the power department last year. Um, but in other ways, maybe didn't have the year you would have hoped. And, and he's been incredibly disruptive so far this year, hitting 429. He's got eight stolen bases, a perfect eight for eight in stolen bases. And when he can do that kind of thing, 
Um, you know, he's really one of the best table setters in the Big Ten, so he's off to a hot start as well. And then you've got some new faces. Brandon Comia, a big-time recruit in Illinois' outstanding recruiting class this year, uh, has come on strong. Kellen Sarver, uh, Cam McDonald, a couple of guys. And there's Jack Yalowitz. Uh, you know, two years ago, Jack Yalowitz was kind of a Big Ten player of the year type of player. Uh, last year maybe was pressing a little bit, trying to do a little bit too much, never really quite got on track, but this year he's off to a nice start hitting above 300. So, you know, they've got more quality position players and they have positions for guys right now because you've got, um, you know, Jacob Campbell, a highly regarded recruit in that recruiting class behind the plate. Uh, you know, he's only batted seven times. Grant Van Scoy was their starting third baseman last year. Uh, you know, he, you know, has been kind of uh, in a mix of starting and coming off the bench. David Cron is a veteran, also a really athletic catcher, a good catch and throw guy behind the plate. Um, you know, he's been in a reserve role so far. Um, so they've really got kind of an embarrassment of riches offensively, even if maybe there isn't, um, you know, a Brent Spillane highlighting the offensive attack. I think that was probably my biggest concern about Illinois coming into this season was that what they, what were they going to do without Spillane in the heart of the order? They it, it felt at times like they were pretty dependent on him last year, and so far this year, uh, they're answering that question. And I I'm interested to see how uh, how the Illini do. They got off to a really nice start last year, not quite this good. Um, and, and kind of that carried them almost through the season. They hit a rough patch in the middle, and that's why they missed the NCAA tournament. Uh, but it's a it's a good group, and it's a rather veteran group, as you mentioned, Joe. A lot of a lot of older arms back on the mound. So I'll be interested to see where the Illini go from here, uh, because that that FAU team is a pretty good team. They just beat this weekend, and and yeah. you know some of the games they did it in, like on Friday night when they. Zach Schneider, uh, you know, that that's a one of the better relievers in the country, I feel like. Yeah, I think sometimes we undervalue we being just kind of the general college baseball media, if you will, or you know, college baseball fans even, kind of sometimes undervalue just a really veteran group of guys who have been solid for a long time. And it's easy to kind of get distracted by losing this key piece or that key piece. And don't get me wrong, sometimes that is kind of what's holding up the house of cards, is kind of that one player that everything revolves around. But I think oftentimes we we tend to undervalue just um, a lot of really solid guys. You know, you, sometimes you, you know, you, you prefer to have an entire team full of really solid guys versus a team of big time star power and a bunch of question marks. And I think just Illinois is just a solid team from top to bottom where they have more guys they trust than they have at bats or innings to give them. So we got Illinois at 6-0 there. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, North Carolina State, which is off to a 7-0 start and is coming off of a uh, perfect weekend down in the uh, Coastal Carolinas Baseball at the Beach Tournament. And they finished that off by beating uh, Coastal 7-6 in 11 innings uh, on Sunday. Um, they, uh, they, they played extra innings also against Kent State. On, on Friday night, won that game three to two. And, you know, so Coastal had to, or sorry, NC State had to do some extra work this weekend, but they they come out of it with three wins. They're seven and oh now. And NC State is a team that under Elliott Avent in the last few years, at least, and, and going back farther than that too, but has been pretty offensive. You, you feel good about what they have in their lineup. And then it's a matter of, are, is there enough pitching there? And and this year, coming into the year, it kind of felt like that was a, a similar story. They have some stars uh, in the lineup, shortstop Will Wilson, 
uh, who's off to a really nice start. He's hitting 400. He has three home runs already. That's a guy that you're going to see probably go out as a first-round pick. Uh, right now in, in his most recent mock draft over at BaseballAmerica.com, Carlos Colazzo had uh, Will Wilson going ninth overall. Um, yeah, so we'll, we'll see where exactly he ends up later this spring. But that's definitely a, a player to watch. And then Patrick Bailey, uh, their catcher, a, a preseason All-American. He's just a sophomore. He's going to be uh, very fun to watch over the next two years still. And he, he homered, the, hit the walk-off homer. That was his first homer of the year. Um, he's hitting 320. Evan Edwards, uh, another veteran player in that lineup. He's got three bombs already, 13 RBI. So they have some nice pieces in their lineup that are going. But what I've been impressed by is their pitching staff, which to this point has a team ERA of 228. Yes, it's very early, uh, and it's not the most traditional of pitching staffs. They have, um, you know, their rotation might not be the strength of it. I think the bullpen right now is the strength. Uh, You've guys like Kent Kleiman and and Dalton Feeney that are really good out of the bullpen, and if they can just get enough out of their starting pitchers, I think this NC State team can be pretty dangerous, especially when, uh, you know, you combine the, the this good lineup with uh, a potentially deep bullpen, and, and I think that you know so far that that formula has definitely worked for them in sweeping Bucknell and then sweeping uh, a pretty good field at the the baseball at the beach tournament this weekend. But uh, NC State now has an, another tough week ahead. They have Campbell on Wednesday, and that's a Campbell team that just won a midweek game against East Carolina a week ago and is going to throw uh, Seth Johnson at you on, on in the midweek. And he was up to 98 against East Carolina, and he's a top five rounds arm probably. So uh, that, that'll be a tough test on Wednesday. And then they welcome Minnesota into Raleigh on the weekend. And while the Gophers have not gotten off to the start that they would have wanted or that I would have expected them to this season, that's still a pretty quality opponent coming in. Um, you know, it's a super regional team from a year ago with a lot of talent. So if, uh, if NC state's going to remain in the undefeated ranks, they're going to, they're going to have to prove it this week, or they're going to have to, they're going to have to work for it this week with, uh, with four tough games, uh, before they get into ACC play in a week against Pittsburgh. So the Wolfpack were close to the top 25 coming into the year. They're still very close, uh, right on the outside, uh, and, with uh, with another solid week, they may very well make their top 25 debut next week. And if they don't do it next week, they will eventually work in uh, at some point this season. I'm, I'm sure that's a, it's a program that, that has just been so consistent uh, in terms of making regionals over the last several several years on, under Elliott Avent uh, that I, I'm sure the, the Wolfpack will, uh, will definitely <clears throat> continue to make noise as the season continues. Um, so now, as we continue through looking at over the uh, all the weekend uh, action from, from uh, week two of college baseball, I wanted to, to give us the opportunity to uh, you know kind of shout out some uh, some of the underrepresented or, or undercovered stories uh, so far. What else stood out to us over the weekend? Uh, so Joe, let's start with you. Uh, what uh, what stood out to you uh, from the weekend that was? Well, first of all, uh, this, my first shout-out goes to the UGA promotions team. Um, I went to Athens for the uh, Saturday game. Uh, too long, didn't read version of my Saturday in Athens. Emerson Hancock, really good. Um, so there's that. Um, but no, it just they did a, a banana bread giveaway. 
um, which we should just be giving more baked goods away at baseball games. <laughs> like that's just, I'm just ready to say that now. Like, why is there not like a donuts for like every, every scoreless inning, the pitchers throw you, you give, you give away donuts or something like, especially for those double headers where they start at like 10 or 11 AM. Like why? I just don't know why we're not doing this. So get at me promotions teams. I've got ideas anyway. So the banana bread thing was a big deal there. Uh, also great music at UGA. Zach Christofak uses Layla by Eric Clapton. One of my favorite songs this is his uh, walkout music, which I thought was outstanding. So, uh, so there's that. Uh, moving on, though. Uh, Kyle Harper at Baylor. Uh, Kyle Harper is the guy who has the unenviable task of catching, um, at least doing the bulk of it so far, uh, while Shaylane Lears is out with his hamate bone injury and the recovery from that. Um, he went 5-for-12 over the weekend, had a two-run homer in the Sunday game. Uh, obviously, Baylor is treading into deeper water this weekend with the uh, Shriners tournament in Houston. That'll be a, a tough weekend for them. Uh, but uh, certainly, if they can get uh, production along those lines from Harper while Langlier's out, it will help, uh, you know, kind of will help mitigate his loss. Uh, and also, will just kind of improve the depth. Uh, There's one thing Baylor so far this season has done a really good job of is they've gotten a lot of guys some at-bats, and I feel like they've probably got you know, 11, 12 guys they feel pretty good about. So a uh, big weekend for him. And then also another shout-out in the state of Texas to Texas State. Uh, speaking of the Shriners Tournament, uh, Texas State 5-2, and two, wins over Utah, Missouri State, McNeese, Creighton. Uh, none of those are necessarily surefire um, regional teams, especially with Missouri State hitting the skids a little bit to start the season. But those are all, you know, those those aren't nobody. Uh, so they've been pretty impressive. And that's that's been traditionally a pretty good program. You know, Texas State, when they were in the Southland, was kind of Sam Houston State before Sam Houston State was Sam Houston State. You know, Ty Harrington's done a really good job there over the years. And the years, uh, you know, uh, you know, the mid-aughts, I suppose, would be the best place to put it. But when, you know, around this time, Paul Goldschmidt was there. They really had that thing rolling in the Southland. Um, and so, you know, it's early to kind of think that it might be that type of season again in San Marcos, but certainly a good start for them. And I think it'll be interesting, Teddy, for you to see when you're in Houston this uh, coming weekend, how well they compete with some teams that are, uh, you know, that are considered a cut above. So I'm certainly looking forward to seeing that as well. Absolutely. That, that'll be a fun tournament. And I think that when it got announced that Texas State was going to be in that tournament, a lot of people, you know, were looking at a field with TCU, A&M, Baylor, Houston, Rice, and then, oh, Texas State is here too? Like, that's a little different. But it's nice to see that they're off to this start. And you're right. I mean, that's a that's a program that has had some big years in the past. So it'll be a step up in competition for them this weekend. But you know, they can really open some eyes if they uh, continue this hot start to the season while they're at Minute Maid Park over the weekend. Uh, Dave, what do you got? Well, I'm going to go far out west and I'm going to talk about something that's probably gone under the radar for many people, and that's um, Gary Adcock's uh, Cal Baptist Lancers, who has started, started the season 9-0. and They're the newest member of the WAC Conference. They're just they're in their first year of Division I baseball. Now, I know they've played two northern schools, northern Illinois and, and Ohio, in weekend series. And got, they went this past Wednesday. They got a big win, their very first uh, victory against a Power Five team, and beating Kansas State seven to six. But what what for me is such a compliment to to Gary's program early on in Division One is that both weeks or both weekend series were four game series. Now this is a Division Two program, and usually Division Two programs aren't as deep as Division One when it comes to longevity of pitching. And in their Sunday final finales, they've gone uh, with a shutout, 8 nothing over Illinois in weekend one, 
and beating Ohio 8-2 in the fourth game of the weekend series this past weekend. That just goes to show that, that Gary stepped into Division One play with his team with uh, some depth on the mound. I said this in my preview of the WAC. I think Cal Baptist, even though they're not eligible for the first four years for postseason play, I think they're going to really make an impact on what happens, especially with the top-tier teams in the WAC. And I think even though they can't play for the championship, I believe they're going to make a, a dent on who ends up being the champion in the WAC as the season goes. The other shout-out is I want to give to my former coach and, and mentor, George Horton. That was a big sweep of St. Mary's this weekend. St. Mary's came into Eugene. I think Oregon's uh, showed why they're, they, we believe they've got a good pitching staff because I think that's a good St. Mary's team. The only disappointing thing for me this weekend, Teddy, was that game four was rained out and that I was really anxious to see who they announced as the duck in game four didn't get an opportunity to pitch that game. <laughs> That's the only thing for me that was disappointing, but uh, shout out to Cal Baptist and obviously University of Oregon for a, a big sweep of, of St. Mary's, uh, which was supposed to be a four-game series, but the fourth game got rained out. Yeah, we were, we're all looking forward to seeing the Duck get up on the mound. Um, maybe later in the season, we'll, we'll still be able to see that. But Oregon now, you know, they, they did only win the one game in, at Texas Tech last weekend, but to go sweep St. Mary's, which should be one of the best teams in the West Coast Conference. Um, you know, I think they've had a very encouraging couple of weeks there up in Eugene, and, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how that carries forward uh, for the Ducks this spring. I wanted to mention uh, Navy right-hander Noah Son, who this week uh, on Friday against Air Force was stellar again for the midshipmen. He, uh, he recorded the first 10 outs of the game uh, via strikeout, finished the night with 14 Ks in six scoreless innings, and in four career appearances, three starts against Air Force, Son is 3-0. He is not allowed to run. 47 strikeouts, six walks, 10 hits, 21 innings. That is getting it done against one of your rivals. Uh, and Noah Son is, is a name to know for the draft this year as well. Um, you know, as he'll be, he was the number one senior in, uh, when we did our top 50, um, players by, by class, you can check that out over at baseballamerica.com. And he is, uh, he throws really hard and he's, he's going to be an intriguing pick. And, you know, as, as there are a lot of complications with his military service and how that relates to, you know, how much baseball he can play professionally, uh, over the next few years, but, I, he should he should be able to go out and, and, and get picked pretty good, and, and we'll see where it takes him from there. But uh, just a, another great outing from the senior uh, against his rival uh, or Navy's rival there against Air uh, in, in the in the series against Air Force. Also, the the entire Mountain West. Speaking of Air Force, which came back after losing that game, won the series against Air Force. The whole Mountain West this year uh, through two weekends has been pretty impressive. Last year, the, it was a conference that finished ninth in RPI, uh, which is really its best finish since uh, realignment robbed that conference of Utah, TCU, and BYU. Overall, the, the Mountain West this year is 34-16. and 16. They got some nice wins this weekend. Nevada, last year's uh, regular season champs, uh, swept Long Beach State at Blair Field. Uh, Fresno State went 3-0 and in the Tony Gwynn Classic. San Diego State went 2-1 in that tournament. 
everyone in that league is at least 500. And I think that that's, uh, that's definitely a conference to keep your eye on in, in, out West this year. There are, there's some intriguing teams out there and, uh, you know, it's been a one bid league the last few years. We'll see if they can change that this year. And as they put together these nice non-conference weekends, uh, that only can help them in terms of, of RPI. And of course it's, uh, it's very early to think about that, but at the same time, it's never too early to start thinking about RPI. Um, so those are my shout outs. I, I think that, um, you know, as we wrap up this weekend and look forward it, it, week three is to me always one of the best weekends of the season. You're looking at, uh, a lot of teams challenging themselves after, you know, the first couple weeks looking forward to, uh, to, to conference play coming up that this is a huge weekend. Joe mentioned the Shriners college classic in Houston, which I'll be at. Joe will be at the uh, Frisco College Classic, also down in Texas, a fun tournament. And Dave, you're headed out to uh, Clemson, South Carolina, annually one of the best rivalry series in the country. So we are excited for the the weekend to come in college baseball. And uh, we're excited to to come back and, and talk with you about that next week here on the podcast. So make sure you are subscribed to the podcast on your favorite podcast listening app. And then you can uh, that, that'll just slide in there for you next next week. And we'll be wrapping up week three of the college baseball uh, season already moving along at a, at a nice rapid clip. Until then, uh, make sure to check out everything over at baseballamerica.com. Today, you can find the full top 25 there. Uh, among other weekend content, uh, my off the bat column is up and we'll have stuff again throughout the week there. You can follow us on Twitter. I am at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe underscore on underscore sports. And Dave is at Dave Serrano 11. So that'll do it for us today on the Baseball America College podcast. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Dave and Joe for joining me today. And we'll be back here next week for more college baseball talk. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.